Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I, of course, am Mike Schaefer, joined by Brian Christopherson here on Thursday. Brian, how you doing? I am. I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I'm disappointed that uh, our weather went away, the good weather. It's, yeah. it, I mean, it's better than zero degrees, I guess, but I'm, I'm a little choosy after the last week or so. I think it should be like 75 all the time. Yeah, you get that nice weather and you uh, you start to make plans a little bit. You get excited about things. You want to accomplish stuff. And then it just takes it away from you and you're reminded just how fickle things can be. That's some uh, good Midwestern weather banter. That's like every conversation to any person you walk across, you meet in a gas station or something. Yeah, it sure got colder out there. And then you, you feel about 20 seconds with it. Yeah, that's fair. Do you do you want to change up the banter? Because I have some other banter that I want to throw at you. Give us your banter. Give us your best banter. How do you feel about conference tournaments for basketball? Uh, I have no beef with them. Um, I mean, I it it sort of primes me. It's like it's sort of like my appetizer. You know, I, it's like the spinach dip they bring out. I'm like, yeah, I, okay, I'm kind of ready for it now. Because I'll be honest, uh, Schaefer, I do not. I will watch Husker hoops and I'll watch a little big 10 hoops, but I am not like I was as a youngster where like, if, you know, Duke, I know Duke had a rough season, but Duke's playing, uh, you know, Miami on Wednesday night on ESPN. I just don't watch it. I don't. And so this is sort of my build, my lead in where I get acquainted more with like what's going on actually in college hoops. Yeah, I look, you you summed it up how I feel about it, too. We're the exact same. I watch, obviously, Nebraska basketball. I watch a little Big Ten either before or after a Nebraska game or, you know, just something to have on. Uh, in, the, in the meantime, I catch a little, um, a little bit of Gonzaga every now and then because I find them kind of interesting. But largely, I just don't get into college basketball until this time of year. I love conference tournaments. I will find myself watching – the uh the smaller ones like the horizon or the summit and getting into it and this is like you know obviously i'm a bit of a degenerate i'm not even putting money down i'm just enjoying it Uh, are you sure are you sure you're not putting money down (laughs) well i mean i did with nebraska last night and they almost blew it but they managed to to cover the six and a half but uh no i mean it, it goes back to when i was younger i remember being in high school and being super jacked about the Big East tournament starting their games during the day and then kind of like finding a way to, to pay attention to those or a spring break would sometimes line up where you'd have that off. And I, I remember, do you remember who Marcus Hatfield is? Is that a name of college basketball that you remember at all? No. Um, I know Dan Dickow is, but I don't know who Marcus Hatfield is. So Marcus Hatfield was, and I think I have this name right. He was a basketball player for St. John's. And he had like an incredible tournament run um, where he basically propped up like a terrible uh, St. John's team. It's not Marcus. I got to figure out this name, but he basically they were like a 12 seed or whatever. And they had like this prolific run. And I just remember getting like really into it. I remember Jerry McNamara was Syracuse like maybe five years later carrying them to the the finals and and sort of the the, like the epic play that he had Kemba Walker people were tweeting out that shot that he had to beat Pitt um, a few days ago I just for whatever reason the Big East tournament really kind of stands out to me but also the ACC I mean you get some of those really good 
Duke, Maryland, Duke, North Carolina matchups in the, the semifinals or in the finals. Uh, with the Big 12, you would usually get Iowa State and Kansas uh, or Kansas, Oklahoma or Kansas, Texas. But usually Kansas was kind of in the center of it. I just I really enjoyed conference basketball, uh, both from the small level, whether it's the Summit Horizon, uh, the teams like Vermont. I, I can't explain it. I, there's something about the tournament setting just gets me into basketball mode more than anything else. That's that's fair. Um, you a few of my favorite college players through the years. Do you remember a guy named Carmelo Travieso? He was on uh, the uh, the UMass team, the fun UMass team. It might have been a little before your time. Yeah, I don't I don't remember him. He was on the squad with like Camby and Padilla was one of their guards. I, I love that team. I love that UMass team. Um, there's certain teams that I would really just like get behind Minnesota to Gophers had a team one year that had Bobby Jackson on it and they yeah. went to the final four and they were fun. Uh, they were coached by Clem Haskins who then got in trouble probably for stuff that was connected to that team. I believe if I remember it, uh, but nonetheless, we had a fun time in the moment and they made it to the final four. Uh, so yeah, there's certain teams that, I'm a big Summit League guy because my brother Eric went to South Dakota State for a year. So I sort of adopted the Jacks as sort of a, a team that I, you know, connect with, even though I have that's my small little link there. So I like the Summit League. Yeah, I do too. Um, and then the Jacks have been fun. They've had some good players in recent years, whether it was Nate Walters or Mike Dom. Uh, and now they had David Jenkins briefly before he went to UNLV. That Bailey uh, or Baylor Shireman from Aurora, who's kind of their yep. stud right now. So, uh, but they got knocked out in painful fashion. You saw that with Oral Roberts, right? I did. I did see that. I, I, I'm a diehard Jacks. I have a t shirt with a rabbit on it. So, of course, I saw that. Well, as, as one <laughs> diehard Jacks fan to another, but, uh, <laughs> you know. All right. So, Nebraska basketball's short lived run in the Big Ten tournament featured one of the best halves of basketball they played all year. And that first half, they looked really good. They were shooting the ball. They moved it around. You were getting contributions from Thor, from Webster. Uh, Trey McGowan's had a good first half. Derek Walker had some of the best passes from the post to kick out to guys uh, to, to get open threes. They had some really great uh, off-the-ball action where Walker set up a screen, and I believe it was Trey McGowan's cross-court pass to, to Webster to hit the three. I mean, they, they were doing really nice stuff in the first half, second half starts and Penn state ramped up its energy and Nebraska just did not have anything left in the tank. That's what I saw. What did you think BC? Uh, the, the, I think Fred Hoiberg said it at halftime, you know, to his team, basically like you're up 14, but these next five minutes are crucial. You know, this is the chance to, to step on a team's throat. And the exact opposite, of course, occurred. And not only did the opposite occur, it happened so quickly that within a minute into the second half, Nebraska had to adjust to the fact that it was now like in a up for grabs game again. You know, like it was a 10-0 run before the first media timeout, and it was an 8-0 run 67 seconds into the second half. And you can't help but think negative thoughts when you watch it uh, on your TV. If you've kind of followed Husker hoops, you sort of get that, oh, there's, there's a cow pie that's about to be stepped in here. And 
I have to think that's hard for players to uh, work around too. I, I do think uh, some of this is going to be a mental hurdle that uh, Fred Hoiberg's teams are going to have to overcome is sort of that, that negativity people want Husker hoops to be so good. I mean, they care so much about it. There's a lot, I mean, 11,000, 12,000 people will go to these games, even when they're struggling to be 500 some years. And yet there's sort of that feeling in the air. It's that like old Cleveland Brown syndrome, you know, like it's not going to work out. And that's, that can be a tough thing for an organization or a program to break through. And so it's going to take some special dudes over there going forward who just have that. No, not on my watch. It's going to be different. I'm used to winning at other levels and you've somehow got to change the mindset uh, of what's happening. Um, and that's going to be a big challenge. Yeah. And I don't know how quickly that's going to happen. Um, I just, I continue to believe in this offense. I think that it's going to work. I think that they just have to keep refining the pieces that they have until they have the right group. But this felt like a team that, you know, in a normal year probably wins five to six big 10 games. They had to overcome a lot this year and certainly were asked to play in a lot of games. And, and, you know, I think they acquitted themselves pretty well. It wasn't the year that anybody wanted, but uh, when they came back from that shutdown, Brian, remember how many people didn't think they were going to win a game? Yes. And that's good that you're pointing out this part of it. Cause that is, uh, it's important. It's important to balance it out here. It, uh, the record seven and 20, it is. I mean, that, that stares at you. When you look at that on paper, you're like, eh, it's pretty rough. But when you kind of factor in this, actually what we watched, there weren't that many games. One was pretty recent against Iowa. That was ugly, ugly, but there okay. weren't a ton. Yeah. And after the break though, like you're talking about, after they came out of that pause, they started playing some good defense for a while uh, that we hadn't seen any of uh, prior to that point. And that was encouraging. And uh, I think the offensive uh what they were getting done on that end of the floor was more what Hoiberg had in mind the last few weeks of the season. It felt like he started to think like there, there, there was something that was starting to fall in place there. Yeah. I, I also think they were two different teams with Derek Walker and without Derek Walker. And so his presence, we saw in that Indiana game very quickly, like just the difference of having someone that's a pretty smart player. Uh, he passes well, he seems to be have very active hands and come up with some steals on defense you saw last night, I mean, Nebraska's getting killed on the boards, uh, but he has the, the wherewithal to, to just get a hand in there on the Penn State big, and you get that key jump ball. And I just – I think that, you know, another offseason of Derek Walker and of McGowan's – you have McGowan's brother coming in. I assume Banton's going to be back. You get these guys lat you, – you get these guys to kind of play together, uh, to, to continue to learn to play together, to, to figure out what each person's strength is – they're going to be a better team next year. I don't know that they're going to be an NCAA team, but I, I think, I think it's fair to expect that they're a postseason tournament team next year with the NIT. Uh, what am, am I biting off too much there, Brian? I don't No, I don't know that you are. I'm, I'm not ready to say that, but I don't mind someone predicting it. I don't think it's like ridiculous by any means, especially with some of the recruits that they're, they're adding in. Now we got to see doing- and assuming that they're getting like a normal schedule where you're playing right. you know, 11 to 12 non-conference games to go up your 20 conference games. And people in the stands. I mean, I think, yeah. um, I feel like Nebraska, I've said this before on here, but I, I feel like Nebraska would have won a few more games, even of the ones they played, if it were a normal crowd setting at PBA where you've got the, 
you know, fans on the officials and all that. And you've got them, you know, making noise when there's a run and uh, it's, you know, sandstorm gets going. Um, I mean, I, I, I just think they, they would have had a couple more W's. So uh, I, I could go along with that. Like, uh, like at NIT, like if you want to make early, early predictions, but I'm not going to, I'll allow you to, and I'm going to think about it a while. All right. Well, I will, I'll jump into the deep end of the pool. I can swim a little bit. So we'll, uh, we'll are you a good swimmer? I spread enough water with that prediction for it to ultimately matter. Is, is there a returning player that you think is a real X factor for Nebraska next year? Um, you can name off probably a few answers here. I've, I've been a big Eduardo Andre guy. Um, and I, I'll bring up him again because he's an example of some guys I've seen come through this Husker program before where I've seen, like, you've seen flashes their first year where it's like, oh, that could be really good in another year or two. You know what I mean? Like, you start to, you start to picture, like, the growth and think about, like, two years from now, that could be really good. But then sometimes with Husker hoops, it just hasn't happened. Like a guy has sort of stayed in place or uh, you just haven't seen anything different than you sort of saw the first year. And so he's an example of a player who I think has a lot of potential, but it can't be lost there. It can't just stop it. That's where it was. He had promise and it sort of stopped in place because that has occurred. Uh, He's obviously got to bulk up a little bit. He didn't have his best game last night. Uh, but I like how fluid he is on the offensive end and handling the ball and how the ball works through him. I just think there's a lot that can get done with him and he can help this team uh, going forward. Yeah. I, I think for me, the biggest thing I kind of want to see is for guys like Lat to sort of develop the role of like, okay, he's a shooter. I think that he got really heavy into wanting to drive to the hoop when he would just catch it instead of just catching and shoot. Like that's what Nebraska wants you out there for. They got to develop those guys that can hang out in the corner uh, they got to get those guys that can get them two to three threes a game. I mean, that it sounds like it should be more simplistic than it is. But honestly, if Nebraska shoots just a little bit better, they probably come down with a few more wins. And and a guy like Lat has to be valuable to him because he's their best shooter. Uh, he's a guy that, that's going to make that splash in the, the most often out of anybody. And, you know, if Trevor Lakes is back next year, then he's got to do the same thing. You got to figure out what the role is, how you're going to use those guys, what you're going to get out of them, because they're just not the drive to the basket type. And I, and Lat was doing that too much for my liking. Um, and I, I think that if he really hones in and becomes kind of a corner three specialist and a guy who gives him a little bit of energy and, and, and plays and not that he can't go to the basket sometimes, but just, you know, to pick your spots and to be choosy about it. But more often than not, when you're catching it in rhythm, you're letting it fly because that's what he's on the court to do. And I, I think they have to get those guys kind of in that role and then you build off of what the McGowans hopefully are going to give you. Uh, and then Derek Walker, Eduardo Andre, and, and everyone else. So I, I, for me, it's kind of like the, the guys that are here now and they're, they're sticking through this summer. Okay, figure out what your roles are and really kind of lock in on it. Because I, I don't know that Nebraska's best version of itself is lat driving from the top of the key into a pile of people. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say – Fred Hoiberg is genuinely like optimistic about that group. Like it's not um, last night after the game, just trying to read it off my zoom screen. He, he seems like a guy the last few weeks who he really liked this team with all they went through. Um, 
he said, it's hard to sometimes say you enjoyed coaching a team that, you know, went seven and 20, but I do, I enjoy these guys. And um, this is not a roster that, I mean, there are going to be some moving pieces. I'm sure of that, but it's not going to be a roster that's completely just uh, obliterated like it was basically a year ago. And so I think there's actually like a, a ground floor that's, that's, a little bit set now and now you can now you can work off of it there wasn't after last year there is after this year and that's the encouraging part uh and so the fact that he he likes the guys and that you know they showed him something even through the losses that they were competing and buying into what he was saying i think is a good sign at least yeah absolutely all right let's take a uh, a break we're going to transition to spring football a little bit has not started yet for nebraska but i kind of wanted to run through a few names, pick BC's brain, figure out who are some guys that we want to hear more about from the staff that we feel like this is a big spring for, and we're hoping to hear more about uh, all that and more on the other side. All right, Brian, I, I teased it a little bit. We were, were going to talk some spring football here, and, and I didn't give you a ton of parameters on this. I basically just said, hey, let's talk about some guys that uh, we're hoping we hear from, that it sounds like they're having a good spring. Guys that have been in the program, you know, a little bit more so than the early enrollees or the junior college, or excuse me, the uh, the transfer portal guys, uh, people that, that have been here a little bit. Is there, you know, when I threw this out to you, was there a name that jumped out right away? Yeah, yeah. Uh... It's a, this one's an easy one. It's a Noah Pola Gates. Um, you know, it's, it's year three. I think you have to remember that his first year was pretty much deleted by injury. Uh, last year he was close. And what Travis Fisher said to me like a week and a half ago was he was real close. Like he, he was a, close to pulling the trigger on, on Noah. Then uh, he definitely expects to this year and get him somehow involved. Uh, but I mean, you remember what he was like as a recruit and how excited people were when he committed and signed. And uh, he's just an example, one of those four star players that you just don't want to see uh, come here and sort of disappear. And I don't think people should uh, think that's necessarily happening yet either. Uh, but it, he would be somebody I hope like when Travis Fisher, like in the middle of spring ball, does a Zoom thing with reporters or however we're going to do it. Hopefully he's like, oh yeah, Noah's like, you know, you'd love to hear him throw his name out there unsolicited. Yeah, I agree. And and you talked to Travis Fisher a little bit about uh, Noah Pola Gates, and I think he's a big curiosity for Nebraska's fans. It does seem like, at least internally, or at least what Fisher was telling you, they are expecting things out of him. Yeah, and he's uh, he's such a versatile guy. Like he, everybody knows Fisher cross trains his guys. But Noah Pola Gage really does have that sort of body type where he could be a corner, he could be a safety. Uh, you could probably move him around all over the secondary. I think Fisher feels that way about most of his players. But um, he's a big hitter. He's not got the biggest frame. Um, so that's something people wonder about. But he's, he just needs some durability and some, some health at his side. That's the first part. If he can get that for a full year, I, I, think, he can, uh, I think he can make some waves. Yeah, I'll jump to the the offensive side of the ball, and this is a guy that you had as well. That we'll just go a little bit deeper on it, but he was he was kind of the talk of the pre-spring, and then they had that one practice. But I think it's going to be important that we hear some stuff on Alante Brown this year. That was a guy that I I think 
kind of gets forgotten about. You have Samari Toure come in. People are excited about Xavier Betts. You have Thomas Fedoni. William Nixon gets brought up because he wasn't around last year with that knee injury. But Elante Brown is still a really good athlete. Uh, he's someone that Nebraska invested in. They wanted to bring to campus. They, they got him here. They got him here early. He was able to go through spring ball. And then he didn't have any real big impact on the season. And we tend to kind of put those guys off to the side to get excited about something we haven't heard about. But I want to hear more about Elante Brown. I, I want to hear that he's kind of found a, a spot in the rotation, whether that's outside at wide receiver or in the slot. Uh, you know, I, we know that he's a, a, a good athlete. But we kind of want to hear that he's turned the corner a little bit and whatever it was that wasn't allowing them to get on the field last year. Uh, hopefully they're they're able to, to clear some of that up because I, I just think there's a lot of talent there. And, and he's one of those wide receivers that as weird as it sounds, we've already moved past a little bit because there's other new shiny objects for us to talk about. No, that's a good one. You know, another thing with those young skilled players is sometimes it feels like they need that play that sort of jump starts them. Like I know Xavier Betts didn't play all the time last year, but after he had that, you know, play where he just yeah. got loose against Penn state, it sort of freed like, okay, he's not, he's not on the milk carton, you know, like it's yeah. like, he's part of this and it, it gets, it gets him going. It gets the idea of what he can do going in the fan base and Alante had that one play, you'll remember it probably, against Iowa where they ran the reverse, mm-hmm. and it was so well set up, and somebody, I won't say the name, but somebody missed the block, and it turned what would have been like a 40-yard touchdown into a you know 18-yard p- nice play, and they didn't score a touchdown on the drive. Uh, but it's something like that where it, early on in the season when we get to that point, I'd love to see it just pop for a guy like that, like where he makes that play, and it's like, okay, I'm going now. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And and I, I think he has home run potential and Nebraska needs guys like that. We talked about this during the 2020 season, and I think it gets kind of lost in the in the grand scheme of what's wrong with this offense. You know, we, we talked about how it always felt like they had to go on these long drives to go score because they just didn't get those big plays. Now, Xavier Betts had that that big chunk play. Uh, they had a couple other 40 yard plays, but really they didn't have a lot of explosive plays that allowed them to flip field position. I think Elante Brown has that kind of potential. And so I, I, like I said, I I hope we hear about him this spring. And I just think that he's someone that there was a lot of helium for last year. And then because he didn't play, it just seems like people have moved on to kind of other receivers that they want to discuss. Yeah. And they shouldn't. Uh, He's, he's very engaged too. It sounded like, and the reason I kind of know that is uh, Marquise Buford is like best buds with him. Yeah. And Alante was like, you got to get here, man. So even though it wasn't all happening for him, uh, he, he was in, he's encouraged, it, or it seems like, about what's going on with him and his possibilities. Yeah, absolutely. Who's another name that you got? I'll go with uh, Mosai Newsom um, <laughs> on the D-line. And you could, uh, you could branch out and take a few names on the D-line. It's, you know, it's almost it could be polar bear season where you start to hear a little bit about him. Yep. Uh, Tate Willeman's a guy like, you know, it's kind of now or never time, but Newsom is someone I honestly thought we were maybe going to hear more about last year. Uh, but then I sort of chalk some of that up to, uh, it was a weird off season, sort of a, you know, th- with the shortened eight game season, it, it, and they found a rotation that worked. It was sort of hard to break in after they got going a little bit, but the reason I bring him up, if you look at the D line as encouraging as it was last season, 
they really had to rely heavily on about four guys. Uh, Stilly, Daniels, uh, Casey Rogers, and Ty Robinson. Yep. I think Jordan Riley would have been in there, but he got hurt right before the season started, and it was sort of a slow go getting back. So I think he'll be a fifth guy. But my point is Nebraska was actually lucky in a way that there were no injuries in the trenches to their primary guys, you know, like if one of those four had been injured, uh, they made a, they might've faced some obstacles and that's where they do need like two or three guys to pop up like Mosai Newsom before. I think we say the D line has it sort of rolling, you know, that they, they've, they made progress, but they need more depth to show. That's also why, even though it's not as uh, sexy or as exciting as Jojo Doman, Ben Stilley returning is really big for that reason alone, too. It's huge. You, uh, a little bit of a runway to, to continue to get Wildeman and um, and Mosai Newsom, and we'll see with Nash Hotmacher. DeAndre Thomas, you got to get off the milk carton this spring. I mean, th- those guys, they're going to have to have a role because we know that this staff, and particularly with Tuioti, he wants to be able to rotate players. Uh, but they, like you said, they, they got very comfortable with that group, and that group was productive. And, um, you know, they're, they're going to be important for them again this year. And so I, I do think that's sort of an undersold important thing that Ben Stilley did come back because, like you said, they got a lot out of that group. But you know that over the course of a 12-13 game season, it's pretty rare to not have injuries up front like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, a guy yeah. like Osai Newsom, who they liked and they talked about in the past, um, I, I do think you're, you're on the right track there for sure that he's – He's going to be a pretty valuable person for him up front. Jameen Graham is the same age, too. Really didn't hear, haven't heard his name. Uh, One of those not, position guys, and I always get nervous when they do that and you don't get the immediate flowing of excitement. Yeah. That only thing I cautioned going too quick, like, oh, that's not working, is he's he's the same age as Newsom, you know? So, I mean – sometimes a guy like him all of a sudden pops up in the spring and you're like, Oh, we got to start paying attention to him. So it's, it's guys like those who nobody's talking about who you can't, you can't just completely dismiss. Here's a guy that we saw on special teams a little bit last year. Didn't see a ton at linebacker. Uh, He was, he was always going to be a little bit sort of a a long-term project because of he didn't play that much in junior college, but I am, I'm very kind of interested how Nico Cooper goes from year one to year two if he kind of falls into a role, if Mike Dawson's able to unleash what they think is a really athletic guy on the edge there, he's someone that uh, in an outside linebacker room where it's pretty wide open outside of Jojo Doman, Garrett Nelson, you have those two. And then it's kind of, well, is Nick Hendricks playing outside? Uh, Caleb Tanner, you kind of know what you're going to get from him. What is Javen Wright? And then in the middle of all of that, Nico Cooper is a big guy who I think has the ability to showcase a little bit of uh, athleticism as an, as an outside linebacker can hang with some of these uh, some of these guys in space, but can also at six foot five, 225 pounds, get off the edge and, and maybe get into some passing windows by just being big and being tall in addition to providing a bit of a pass rush. So uh, we didn't get much out of Nico Cooper. He did play special teams and he, he flashed a little bit there but I'm hoping we hear more about where his progression is at as an outside linebacker for what is, you know, that second level, a lot of bodies, a lot of athletes. I think you don't have question marks in the sense of you're, you're going to get production from there. It's just, I wonder who it is and how those roles get divvied up. That's good. Uh, Yeah, that's a good one. 
Um, I guess my third one, we were, I was assigned to give three, right? Yeah. Can I like, uh, can I split? Can I have a, like a combo platter one? Yeah. You know, we're making the rules up as we go along. So I won't ding you any points for it. What was that movie? Matt Damon stuck on you. Was that that movie where he was stuck to his, I, I've never saw it. I don't know. I didn't, I don't think I saw it either. Um, <laughs> I just know it exists. I can't, I can't think of the other actor right now. I can picture him, Is but I can't, I can't think of him. He's got who Greg Daniels. No, no, but uh, you might look that up. Um, okay. Here's my combo. It's a, uh, it's a couple walk-ons quote unquote on the offensive line. And I'm saying them both because I think it would be great if you heard that one of them was sort of like in the mix. And if you got both in the mix, as far as depth, that's great. And I'm talking about new Illy and Ezra Miller. Um, I mean, Ezra Miller is sort of an interesting, just wild card. That's kind of over behind. You don't, you don't see him, you know, he came from Iowa, but he was a four-star recruit. And uh, he posted something recently, like he had a he had a really good first year adjusting to his time in Lincoln and stuff like that. So I'm just curious, like if something can take off there for a guy who has a prospect coming out of high school, people are pretty excited about. Uh, Newilly is probably the guy I give the most chance of the two, just because I Greg Austin has brought him up. He says he's got a little bit of fire in him. Uh, started six games at Colorado state as a freshman. You have to remember he's very raw to the game of football. He came from Germany and had only played it for like one high school season. And so he's sort of this piece of clay that you're, you know, that you can mold. Um, I, I could see him being someone who we hear about or is in the mix to, to be a depth piece, at least on the O line. Yeah. You, you basically took, uh, I was going to go with, Basically, I was going to go with New Ellie, but you, you took the, the general idea that I was going for there that I, I want to hear more about those guys. I, I'm fascinated. I'm hoping that by the end of the spring, we're going to have an idea of what Nebraska's best five are or what their, their starting line is going to look like. And the closer we get to the spring, the more I just wonder how many different combinations there actually are for that. Because I don't know that it's as clear cut sometimes as we make it. And I don't always know that someone like a Bryce Benhart is guaranteed to keep that right tackle job. So I, I think that there's, there's, there's a lot of flux with that offensive line, but in particular, I, I do want to know more about those walk-on guys because I, I think that Nebraska might've uncovered a, an opportunity to, to get some real depth and, and potentially some starts out of one or two, or maybe both of those guys. Yeah. I mean, Brant, ben you talk about tackles, Brant Banks is a guy they like a lot. Uh, he, he, yeah. he's going to, he's going to make some guys fight for their, their position. So do you, do you have another one? I'm sorry. I, I took your, by the way, the answer is Greg Kinnear. It was Greg Kinnear I, who started and stuck on you. I looked it up and then I got caught as you were talking, also trying to read the plot to this movie. And it sounds just <laughs> absurd. Did you know Cher is involved? No, uh, 2003, huh? It's that old. Um, it seems like a movie that you wouldn't, you wouldn't seek out, but like if you happened upon it, it would have to be like a Sunday afternoon at like three thirty, and the golf tournament is a complete like I don't know anybody on the leaderboard, you know. And okay, I'll I'll watch this for a little bit. <laughs> That's the only way I'd watch Stuck on You, probably. But oh, I think I'd but, stick with the golf. I just talked <laughs> into it. 
what's your uh what's your third your third guy or is it multi guys like i had well it was, creation. It was gonna be like i said it was gonna be new ellie but um all right so i can i can come up with another person here i'm i do radio for a living i can there's 150 guys over there just pick one out of the <laughs> well the the problem is that like a lot of them and if you pick a running back like I we're definitely going to hear from about Sevion Morrison and Marvin Scott and everything else, but it's like, are you going to, are you actually going to know enough of how it's going to play out? So I, I think that you kind of avoid running back a little bit. Um, you know, we've talked mostly about the defensive line and the linebackers and the defensive backs already, you know, at a tight end, I feel like we know what Austin Allen is. And I, I think we have a general idea of where Travis Vokalek has things. And so that kind of leaves Logan Smothers as sort of the, the obvious one left. And, and we've talked about this before, but um, I think that if all parties involved were to take true serum, that they are hopeful, but I don't know that they are confident that they're going to leave the spring feeling like they have for sure a guy that could be the answer if Adrian Martinez gets hurt. So we're going to hear about Logan Smothers. I just don't know what exactly we're going to hear. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's one of the top storylines of the spring, probably. Uh, just like, is he close enough that you feel like, yeah, I feel good about him as the backup. Um, and that's a that's a that's pretty weighty situation for a young player, but uh, that's what he came here to do. So it's all these conversations are always interesting as thinking about it because someone will ask you like, oh, pick like a guy, and it's it's just where your brain happens to go at that moment. Cause there's like so many, every position group is its own yeah. like book, you know, about uh, something interesting could happen or there's a wild card. And that's, that's, that's what makes the spring fun. I think sometimes I, I will sit, get on this crusade forever. I know people think there's a lot of hype that comes in the spring or something. I always view it as when we write about guys, we're not saying that this guy when he is having a good spring is going to go dominate Wisconsin. We're saying that within the position battle and within his personal quest to be on the two deep or be a main contributor, he is doing well right now in the eyes of coaches. And so I think sometimes that gets misplaced as hype that, you know, they're going to go crush everybody. And that's, I kind of view it separate those two things, but uh, I understand how that the lines are blurred with that. Uh, we'll finish with this BT. I don't know how you're going to feel about it, but there's a report that Byron Buxton cracked a tooth eating a steak and had That's... to go a root this <laughs> week. Did that really happen? I, I don't know that it's a hundred percent a real tweet cause it's not a verified person, but I think this individual covers baseball. That is it. It's a player where it doesn't seem like it would be, that far from the truth though right like he just has not been a lucky individual thus far in his career yeah with injuries he's sort of like anything could happen and you could believe it and i love byron he used to be the he was on my screen on my phone for a long time yeah but he, he, she covers the team for the pioneer press so i i believe it i believe yeah. it's true my goodness he has the weirdest stuff. He had, he loves to run in the walls. Like even in spring training, if there's a, if you send something toward a wall, he is going to go chase that thing into the wall um, and, and hurt himself. And so that that's part of the course. So he is, he's like one of those examples where with injuries, you can believe anything sort of like there's certain people in this world, like any headline can pop up and you're like, yeah, 
Yeah, that probably happened, you know, just because they've, they've gotten to that point where it, they're so ridiculous that like Mike Tyson was that way for a while where like any headline could pop up. You'd be like, yeah, that was that probably true. So that's unfortunate. Yeah, that, that definitely is. Um, it's just it couldn't be like if this had happened to some other player, player you're just like, whoa, that's unique. But because it's Byron Buxton, it's like, man, he's just snake bit. You get to enjoy Eddie Rosario now, who was a favorite twin of mine. He, You will love him and hate him, at, uh, sometimes, often, multiple times in the same game. Um, he'll do something silly, and then he'll hit a three-run home run. So that's going to be fun for you. He's already the best Cleveland outfielder they've had in the last three years, so it's not like he's got a ton of competition for him to, to be a, an immediate favorite of mine as far as outfielders go. So Plus, he's a middle-order bat, so we'll uh, – We'll see how it plays out, but uh, I'm not expecting a lot out of Cleveland. My, fa- my favorite Eddie Rosario thing is my brother and I were at a Twins game in the, a matinee game where there weren't a lot of people there. So we went, we worked our way down to like the second row and we were sort of uh, down the uh, third baseline and in the outfield. So we were right by Eddie Rosario and Eddie Rosario had a pocket full of seeds and he was just like, and he was, paying limited attention to the at bat like he would sort of get ready before each at bat we're like man he's not really dialed in and sure enough a guy hits a ball and eddie rosario it ends up like a double which would have been an easy out i'm sure it was ruled a double but eddie rosario uh was too busy eating sunflower seeds but i uh so we sort of enjoyed it because that's eddie rosario it like it's the sort of guy he could do that and you're like that's okay i'm all right with that (laughs) that's incredible all right. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and close this out. Everyone, be sure to check out Oscar twenty four seven. We got plenty of content, recruiting stuff, football stuff, finishing up the basketball season. Brunts will be back next week. We'll dive into baseball. They got a four game set in Minnesota this weekend. They're playing at U.S. Bank, which I think will be sort of interesting. I I've been there. BC, you've been to that stadium now, right? Uh, U.S. Bank. Yeah, the new one. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful. I'm trying to think of what it would look like with the baseball field. I, you know, we know the Metrodome. We, we both been to games at the Metrodome, but I'm trying to think of how it would look Sucked, yeah. set up U.S. Bank football wise. Yeah, it'll probably be a little weird uh, configuration, but you'll be people will be so distracted because of the, the windows where you can see out into the skyline that it won't even matter like what the field looks like. That's the I mean, that stadium is so beautiful just because of that. And you can see the 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 buildings through it it it, it kind of reminds you of especially like you know when you're watching the vikings on tv uh in a noon game it's like they're playing outside yeah. when it's sunny i mean that it's so it's just kind of a cool cool setup yeah well after this podcast i'll bother you with my takes on minnesota keeping their terrible punter so we'll uh, we'll spare the listeners yeah we we should do that off air i guess <laughs> all right we'll catch everybody next week <laughs>